The Incomparable t-shirts are back on sale through November 17th. There's the new Incomparable logo, a robot or not shirt, the random Trek spaceship, and the total party kill dragon. Get them now at theincomparable.com slash shirt. The Incomparable, number 486, November 2019. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I am your host, Jason Snell. And yes, it is the summer of Spider-Man. Wait, what? It's November? What's happening? So here's the thing. There's these two movies that are in between the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies and the Marvel Cinematic Universe Spider-Man. And they are... Uh, Amazing Spider-Man from 2012 and Amazing Spider-Man 2, very clever title, from 2014. These are the movies starring Andrew Garfield as Peter Parker, uh, kicking off a whole new series of stories involving Spider-Man until the second movie didn't do well at the box office and they decided to just go all in on Marvel Cinematic Universe instead and make a deal with Marvel. So we're going to, we missed these and I want to talk about them as a, as a pair to kind of put a bookend on the summer of Spider-Man. And I have invited uh, three fine people to come. And finally, this has been a snake bit, star-crossed kind of thing to get this recording session to actually happen. It's like they don't want you to hear what we have to say about these movies. But we fought <laughs> the power. We fought the conspiracy. I don't even, the, I don't know, Sam Raimiists who are trying to suppress the truth. Uh, and and we've come together here now to finally get it out there. Moises Chuyan, I don't know what I'm talking about. Hello. Who am I? Uh, no, no. Yeah, that line does make a comeback. That line does make a comeback. Believe it or not, you didn't think it did, but it did. Gene McDonald is also here. Hello. Hello, all you spider people. And Chip Sutterth. Hello, Chip. We're here to talk about Andrew Garfield's uh, appearance in Daleks in Manhattan and evolution of the Daleks, right? Mm, after the yes. social network, but sure. Yeah, we'll throw that in there. Why not? He does. He does a worse american accent in that right it's worse than that because he's doing like a new york he's like doing a new york urchin accent there hey watch out watch out those daleks um <laughs> where in this one he does a slightly more convincing american accent so yes andrew garfield is peter parker emma stone is gwen stacy dennis leary is her father gwen stacy in the first movie and spoilers a ghost hallucination in the second movie um Martin Sheen is Uncle Ben. Sally Field is Aunt May. And this was really the the attempt to... They wanted to get uh, another set of Spider-Man movies up and running. They couldn't come to an agreement with Sam Raimi to do a fourth Spider-Man movie. And so they decided to take take their ball and go to a new director whose name is Mark Webb. He was fated <laughs> to do this. And they decided to make these movies. Now, when we talked about the Raimi movies, um, it came up a lot that, that it was very clearly an homage... Um, especially the first one to the 60 Spider-Man, the original Stanley, Steve Ditko. They were trying to get that kind of flavor. And one of the things that I think is very interesting about the this pair of movies is as a comic book reader who read all of the Brian Michael Bendis uh, Ultimate Spider-Man run, that is very clearly the uh the inspiration here that the, this is a uh, that was the whole idea there was a modern take on retelling the spider-man story and um clearly was the inspiration to this right down to the fact that we see peter's parents and both movies kind of plant the seed which is uh you know with campbell scott as his as his dad <laughs> like what if what if peter's 
important to this story. And it wasn't a coincidence because his parents were involved in the creation of the spiders and all of these things that are kind of conspiratorially happening in the background, which is basically out of the Bendis comic as well. So, uh, you know, a different take on Spider-Man. Uh, Moises, as a as a very uh, deep into comics kind of person, uh, is that is that a pretty accurate read that this is sort of the Bendis version of the Spider-Man origin that we're seeing here? I, I, I would agree. And uh, you are uh, you and Chip, I think, are are much more uh, active JMSers, uh, but I feel like there's there's a sous-son of J. Michael Straczynski mm. in the DNA of this as well. It could be. It's definitely a modern take of Spider-Man in, in a way that the Raimi movies were not, right? Like yeah. 1960, 95. Peter Parker's got a skateboard. <laughs> Boy, does he have a skateboard. Mm -hmm. He aggressively is with a skateboard in many, many, many scenes in both of these movies. Just to say, see, he's like the kids. They have the skateboards. (laughs) There's a lot of of skateboards (laughs) in this movie. X Games, Spider-Man. And and a a very different kind of Peter Parker, not just as far as the skateboarding is concerned but the attitudes you know you get different perspectives on parker between toby mcguire and andrew garfield and 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 uh, who was that guy that that <laughs> recent guy T- tim tim uh, tim netherland <laughs> i gotta say we'll we'll get into these movies and where they fail and where they don't but i'm i'm astonished to say that i think andrew garfield is by favorite live action spider-man i think he's even better than nicholas hammond my history with these movies is that when they when they announced that they were sending peter parker back to high school i went you know what i'm just not gonna bother with these and i did not go see them theatrically mm-hmm. and i bought them on uh, blu-ray at some point when they were on sale and just left them shrink-wrapped and i literally did not watch these movies until i think sometime last year hmm. um, because i told myself you know what I have a feeling that in five years, they're just going to reboot all of this. <laughs> and in the one time I've actually been prescient about this kind of stuff, that's exactly what they did. Um, so so I, I, uh, I on, on the one hand, I thought, oh, I don't know, this Peter Parker sure is a cool, handsome dude. I don't know how I feel about that. I liked him as kind of a nerdy, dorky, awkward guy. Um, but... Uh, we'll get into it when we talk about the movies. Uh, I I was surprised and delighted by certain things and, uh, um, uh, uh, well, unsurprised by other things uh, <laughs> based on my expectations. I watched these movies for the first time for this podcast. Wow. Because yeah. I... Wow, I was... Chip. Thanks, dude. Way to one-up me, bro. <laughs> now I'm talking like Spider-Man, a hip guy with a skateboard. I was in full-on stupid continuity obsessive mode when this was announced, and I didn't see the need for Sony to reboot it, and I just uh, crossed my arms and refused to watch it out of spite. I didn't have, like, quite the crossing arms refuse out of spite moment, especially, you know, being a person who really only knows Spider-Man from everything but the comic books. But I did love Tobey Maguire, Spider-Man or not. And I was like, another Spider-Man? Yeah, I, I don't. And I didn't know who Andrew Garfield was at the time. And so uh, me too. I only watched them to, you know, catch up for this podcast. Wow. I know Andrew Garfield like comes off maybe a little cuter, but come on, he's still a nerd. Yeah. And he's still like, you know, dorky. But the thing I have to like, just like put out there right from the beginning is I still haven't watched 
all the Tom Holland because I was like, well, you know, we were in the middle of summer Spider-Man for me. And right. I'm like, well, keep it, I'm keep just it gonna wait. in order. Yeah, no, no. I think I'm that's, wait. I think yeah. that's, I think that's good. And you've got all that, uh, you've got all that to come. So I saw yeah. the first one, uh, Amazing Spider-Man in the theater. I, and as a lifelong Spider-Man fan, this will tell you how bad the reaction was to Amazing Spider-Man 2 is I didn't see it till it came out on home video. I didn't even bother <laughs> going to see it. So I'm one of the reasons that they didn't make another one. It's like, even, even Jason didn't go see it. Damn you, Just Jason. Jason uh, yeah, Jason heeded all of the warnings quite wisely. So here's my thesis for these movies. And I'm just going to, I'm going to, um, we're not going to step through the plots. We'll, we'll talk about them in general. But um, up front, having watched them again, I thought uh, going back and not, not having seen them in a while i was really concerned that i was going to get into them and, and realize that they were just terrible and unredeemable i don't feel that i think that maybe they get ignored wrongly mm-hmm. but i understand why and this is my little theory about this which is these movies are unnecessary they made three spider-man movies in the 2000s 2002 to 2007 they had just made them we had seen peter parker's origin story 10 years before there could not be a more unnecessary movie to be made than the Mm -hmm. amazing spider-man and i think people still talk about this to this day like there's a reason and gene on just a little minor spoiler here guess what they don't show in the marvel cinematic universe (laughs) spider-man they don't show his origin story because everybody is so tired of this (laughs) um so i i think it was a mistake by sony to do this i think that if they were going to make these movies they should have just you know put it in the opening credits or something rather than spending like the first hour of the movie telling us a story that everybody knows and has yeah. seen before. But, and this is, this is the, the, where, where I want to start with this. I think it does it better. That's the thing that yes. bothers me <laughs> is that I think it does it better. I think the origin story is better. I think Peter as a character is better. I think his relationship with uncle Ben is better. I think the scene where uncle mm-hmm. Ben dies is better. I think yeah. huge parts of the way that the origin of, of Spider-Man in this movie is handled is an improvement on Sam Raimi's 2002 version of Spider-Man. And that's the shame of it is even though they did a good job with it, it was in an unnecessary retelling of a story everybody already knew and that's the part that that i i Mm. in revisiting again i was like no it really is better like i like it better on so many different levels than the sam raimi version that it's just a shame that you know nobody got to receive it in in that way as a completely fresh thing because it was not because it was super stale because it had just been told Mm -hmm. 10 years before. I agree. There are things about this Peter Parker that remind me so much of my 17 year old son. This Peter Parker is not a dweeb, but he's sort of on the outside edges of uh, the social circles. Um, He's smart and he's a little different and offbeat and isn't treated very well by his classmates he just doesn't fit in and i think that that's really i think that that's really refreshing um there's also something about this peter parker that's different even from the comics peter parker that there's something more inherently decent about him before he's bitten by the spider yeah yeah um which is which you didn't really get that too much from the Steve Ditko Peter Parker in the beginning before the bite. You could argue that 
and and I think that um, that Sam Raimi went with this that Peter Parker in the classic iteration is a super jerky guy like he's not only a dweeb but he's completely self-centered which is why he allows the robber to go past him and kill Uncle Ben and one of the things I like about this take on Peter it's exactly what you said Chip he's a decent human being before he has powers and I, I really like it it's not like the bite and his uncle's death doesn't convince him that he shouldn't be a jerk for me the key scene and I think this is what you're re- referencing is Flash Thompson's beating a kid up and or mocking him and you know and and treating a kid badly in the in the you know in the quad mm-hmm. and Peter intervenes and tells him to stop Peter has no powers Peter is going to get the crap beaten out of him by Flash Thompson and Peter intervenes so he's being he is a hero without powers and he has to pay the price for that and I love that scene so much because what it says is Peter Parker was a decent human being before the spider bit him. And I like that. I like to think that about this character. What happens after Uncle Ben is shot in all the other stories is he is forced to confront his self-centeredness and then he is driven to be a, a, a superhero to atone for that. In the Tobey Maguire movies, that saddles Spider-Man with, you know, he's not as funny. He's just sort of, sort of morose all the time. He's <laughs> a sad sack. Yeah, sad sack. This Spider-Man starts out good and decent, and he has an emo moment in the convenience store in the bodega that leads to him blowing up and um, and his uncle getting killed after that moment of weakness. And I think that that makes all the difference here. It makes it gives Spider-Man the opportunity to be lighter and funnier mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. brasher. And in that respect, you know, this Peter Parker doesn't resemble the comics Peter Parker quite so much, but this is very much the comics Spider-Man, more so even than Tom Holland's Spider-Man, I think. A lot of quips well, with this Spider-Man. Yeah. Chip, as, a, as an emo American myself, I, I would only take issue with the fact that I feel like this Spider-Man is more authentically emo than the emo Spider-Man we got in Raimi's Spider-Man 3. <laughs> you know, he is he is, you know, moody, but he can be funny and sarcastic yeah. and he's he's experienced some tough stuff and part of how he processes his own personal trauma is his kind of smart-alecky kind of a thing. And and I I very much agree right. with you. I really like the shape of this Peter Parker's personality as being good natured and a good kid who yes, makes mistakes and sometimes, you know, acts, um, you know, uh, impulsively. Uh, but I just, I, I like the feel of this Spider-Man so much better. And I think because I saw these movies after I saw the MCU stuff, after I saw, um, infinity war, at least (laughs) after I got a a solid helping of Tom Holland, Spider-Man, I was able to, to Jason's point, enjoy this as an origin story much more than I think I would have if I'd seen it when it came out in release in 2012. And I'm really glad that I waited, uh, you know, thanks to the way that fate twisted. Uh, I wasn't missing out on Spider-Man movies so much as I was able to have the time displacement to watch this first movie and find it really just, I mean, it, 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 it rang all the various bells when I was able to take off my pedantic cap and set aside the fact that like the super science conspiracy, Richard Parker mm-hmm. stuff, um, 
generally not my thing. Yeah, that's not the not the good part of this movie. <laughs> I agree. It's not the good part of this movie, but it didn't bother me, I think, as much as it would have um, just from the point of view of somebody who didn't like it that much in the comics. All right, let me take a break for our sponsor, our uh, sponsor this week, Pingdom. I've told you about them before, and Pingdom has a chilling message for you, which is that the holiday shopping season is around the corner. Ooh, Black Friday, no. Um, I'm going to be looking for some good deals from my house, by the way. I'm not going outside because uh, that's not going to happen. I can use some search engines. I make a little list in my Amazon account. I do all sorts of... I have a little notes document, all sorts of places where I keep gift ideas for me and for my family. Um, And when I'm shopping online, there's little worse than the shopping cart letting you down or for a website to suddenly be unavailable when you're ready to buy something. Guess who can swoop in and save the day? Pingdom. If you run a website where you're selling stuff, do you want to know the moment your website goes down? You do. Do you want to know in the way that is best for you and your company? You do. You can use Pingdom's transaction monitoring to get alerted when cart checkout fails, when forms fail, when login pages fail. Not just, is my site up, but is my site working? And you can get these warnings before they affect your customers and your business. You can customize who is alerted and when. So if uh, Johnny, who's running the login page, uh, needs to be alerted, Johnny will be alerted. Go to pingdom.com slash Snell right now. You get a 14-day free trial, no credit card required, and when you sign up, use the code Snell at checkout to get 30% off your first invoice. Thank you, Pingdom, for supporting The Incomparable. All right, so I wrote down in my notes, I'm like, okay, I like him better than Toby Maguire, which I was not expecting to say because... You know, I was back then sort of hardcore Toby Maguire and who is this Andrew Garfield guy. Um, it just more entertaining and less, you know, sad sacky and yeah. less dour. That. But uh but for in terms of, you know, okay, so the science conspiracy again, like, you know, being somebody who doesn't know what is canon or what should be there all i know is <laughs> i've put like why does campbell scott get top billing i have a problem with it also i don't really care about the canon right tell the story you want to tell but, but although bendis did do this in his run in ultimate spider-man i do i am kind of bothered by the law of conservation of characters where all of a sudden yeah. it's like well of course peter parker is actually connected to the thing that gave him powers because new york city is very small and there are only about yeah. 10 people in it <laughs> yeah i mean i can i can deal with co- coincidences to a certain extent but when it's like no dude everything's connected let me tell you about the spider chemtrails yeah it, it's it's a it's a bit much which is too bad but you know that that's the thing is i i in watching this movie i can and the second movie especially um i can section off like this stuff all really worked well and then there's the stuff that didn't work very well. And the Peter Parker, him, his portrayal, you know, Gene, you're so right. Toby Maguire, so dour. Andrew Garfield, he is emo. He is like a teenager, right? In that he mm-hmm. he he doesn't know how to relate to people at a lot of points, including Gwen. Like that, nothing rang mm-hmm. true more for me than a girl wanting to talk to you as a high school student and being like, I'm completely unable to process even how to respond to you right now. I'm going to go run away. <laughs> he is so good at failing to make eye contact. I, I know, right? He's so, so good at that. And yet there are also moments with his family, with his friends, and as Spider-Man, where he shows a le- legitimate sort of joy in those moments. And, mm-hmm. I, you know, my my son is 15, and 
uh, some days he doesn't want to say more than two syllables and other days he will start talking and you can't get him to stop talking. And I thought like, I, I see it in this Spider-Man and this Peter Parker. It's the same thing. There are mm-hmm. moments of joy and there are moments where he is so miserable that he is the only way he can get through it is by starting to just like talk and crack jokes and just, you know, got to keep talking because otherwise I'm going to have to start thinking and I'm going to be really sad about my uncle. And uh, <laughs> I just think it's a, I think it's a good performance and it's a good Spider-Man. And mm-hmm. in a movie that's got a lot of flaws, like that carries a lot of weight. In Amazing Spider-Man, the original, not the Amazing Spider-Man 2 sequel, where I think it collapses under its own weight. But in the first one, I think it carries the movie. I think I, when it came yeah. out, I, people wouldn't listen to me. And I'm like, you know, it's actually, a, it's actually a good movie. It's not a great movie, but it's a good movie. But but watching it from the remove of seven years, um, it's a good movie because of Andrew Garfield and because of the way Peter is portrayed that is the thing that makes it for me a mm-hmm. good movie it's like it's a good spider-man and a good peter parker yeah yeah i will come back to amazing spider-man one <laughs> one again uh, i will watch it for pleasure again um there because he does he, he does in fact carry the movie so much so that there was a time when they were thinking that they would cut a deal to have avengers tower in the background of Aven- of amazing spider-man 2 right. i think who knows what would have happened prior to the um sony email link leaks um <laughs> i could sort of see andrew garfield in the mcu if things had turned out that way the Spider-Man movies would have been completely different. You wouldn't have had this delightful and yet slightly unspidery um, Tom Holland as Iron Man Jr. thing going on. Right. <laughs> but Andrew Garfield would have played a very different character that I'm not sure if we would have seen mirrored um, in, in other characters in, in, in the MCU. Uh, it's a it, it's a what if. I want to see the what uh, if I see. movie. I say, well, I keep hoping that in one of these Spider uh, Spider Verse in the Spider Verse sequel, maybe yeah. you'll get that little moment where they're going to get that. They they apparently toyed with it in the first Spider Verse movie of what if we got Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield to do voices and maybe mm-hmm. Tom Holland to do voices in the Spider Verse movie. I still would love to see that just because it would be really funny. <laughs> uh, a newbie question here, which is like for me, the whole like uh, Campbell Scott the. Yep. And Beth Davids, uh, you know, family background or for me was kind of interesting because I was always like, how did he ever end up with these like this aunt and uncle in right. Queens? Right. And is that explained elsewhere or is this just like? <sighs> where it, it starts it, it has it it has been in the comics they have addressed it in a few different ways in the different versions and the ultimate spider-man is a different continuity from the amazing spider-man like the the regular mm-hmm. marvel comics um so people have gone back and said like well what really was the cause of the of the death of peter's parents and is it and bendis definitely had like you know he was connected to oscorp and it, you know all mm-hmm. of the kind of like mystery but really it's just a matter of of choice about how you want to approach it and mm-hmm. they i i would say that the, the the sting at the beginning of this movie is like intriguing it's like oh you know this is the moment where peter's parents leave and they and we know they never come back and he has to stay with ant man and uncle ben the second movie starts with a seemingly endless set of scenes yes. with them where they're on the run and they're in a plane and there's a fight and all of that and right. uh, it's yeah. it's like they learned the exactly the wrong lesson to take from this movie which is oh yeah. people really want to see more of campbell scott in an airplane like no, no. i don't i 
I don't. Uh, in the way that X-Files fans uh, fall into two camps, the ones who like the Mythos episodes and the ones who wish the Mythos episodes would die. Um, I think there's there's that kind of, uh, th- there's that kind of, do people really want more of this uh, or do they want more of that? And I'm not mm-hmm. falling on either side of that kind of thing. It, it's, it, they they looked at it and they went, well, People didn't complain that much about it in the first movie. You know, what we need to do is we need more of that stuff. That stuff that <laughs> nobody said that they liked, which meant they didn't hate it. Maybe that's why Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man 2 is the best of all of these, because it's the only one that doesn't have origin crap in it. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a great movie. I think there's truth to that. The, the Amazing Spider-Man 2 also uses the uh, uses it all as a plot point, like the things that, that Richard mm-hmm. Parker found. And, and of course, because, again, it's all related and it's all uh, just this amazing coincidence, which is, is you know, I think... It's all connected, Scully. It, uh, it's all it's, connected. It's all, it's all the black oil, the black <laughs> oil. It's all very unfortunate. Um, but uh, I will say some other things I like about Amazing Spider-Man that I want to I put out there. So... Um, I really like, how could you not like Sally Field? I love Sally Field and I love Martin Sheen, like uh, since forever, but they didn't feel very like aunt and uncle to me, like as much as uh, Rosemary Harris and Cliff Robertson, even though it was more cartoony in the that, you know, Spider-Man, like, I mean, I I did like them. I do like them. I just thought like, yeah, they're more serious actors. It was like weird to have them there. I had a similar kind of reaction where I, I enjoyed the stunt casting because I like both of them as actors, but I liked Rosemary and Cliff as they felt like theater actors and they didn't stick out as much as here is Spider-Man's aunt played by the Sally Field Academy Award winner. You know, Aunt May always has to be be played by an Academy Award winner or a lifetime Tony winner. Those are the only choices <laughs> you have for Aunt May. That, that's those are those are the only you choices know, available. The, the the thing that I like about this and it actually is continued with the MCU where it's Marissa Tomei, which is if you do the math. Aunt May should not be a, a, an extremely elderly lady, right? Which is how she's always portrayed in the comics too, and it bugged me That's there too. True. And and there yeah. they're trying to make her younger because she she and Ben are you know somebody is a sibling to Peter's parents, and there unless there's a you know colossal retcon of age difference and all of that, like I mm-hmm. I, I thought I thought it was. And it's a more parental relationship, and I thought I believed their relationship more. Uh, but it is true; it is you are watching Sally Field and Martin Sheen here is the president. Also, the the, the problem with the Richard Parker um, super science stuff is mm-hmm. it just call, it just calls out more questions about how these this working class couple from Queens have. Mm-hmm. Uh, have their their uh, brother or sister in law, and I can't even remember what it's Ben, ben and and so Martin Sheen is the brother uh, mm-hmm. of Campbell Scott. Is that the idea yes. here? Yes. Um, and, and Campbell Scott is a a super science whiz, and Martin Sheen is like a plumber in Queens. Yeah. And it just struck me as really weird. Like I don't believe that those people are brother and and brother. Like it doesn't. They 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 come from. They're like in in different financial classes they're from different worlds and there's a heck of a story there about the little brother who became a uh, rich uh 
corporate scientist and left uh, his kid behind to be raised in Queens. But the the movie's not interested in talking about any of that. It's like, no, no, suffice <laughs> it to say, these are the, yeah. Aunt, ben, right. Aunt, you know, Aunt May and Uncle Ben. Just trust us. Yeah. But I like the performance and I really like Martin Sheen. I, li- I, I just, I like Martin yeah. Sheen. I like the way he interacts uh, you know, with uh, Andrew Garfield. And yeah. it makes that moment that is just him being snotty about the jerk who won't give him the pennies in the penny cup. That's not how a penny cup works, by the way. Way. that guy is totally right. wrong um and that one <laughs> yeah. just moment of just kind of being pissed off uh leads to the inadvertently to the death of his uncle and like uh, that that whole scene really it really worked and martin sheen was great <sighs> in it yeah yeah they also do a great job uh martin sheen and sally field and andrew garfield you know as a family unit right. there's a lot more tension and drama and realism to their relationships i think um in in amazing spider-man 1 uh, they they don't just get along peter parker's a troubled teen yeah and they love each um, other but they're also at, at at loose ends with one another and yelling and stuff like it's it seems feels pretty real to me there's even tension between ben and may which is i think really good because it makes it feel more like a real uh a real married relationship you know so gwen stacy um i, I, I love her i feel like i feel like <laughs> after so much mary jane in the uh, Sam Raimi movies to say, we're going to, we're going to do Gwen Stacy and it's going to be Emma Stone. And I really like her performance. I like Dennis Leary. I like the Mm -hmm. super awkward stuff where uh, she is trying to talk to Peter and then, and then like there's the Branzino and let's go over and it's a disaster (laughs) at her house with her dad because her dad doesn't like Spider-Man and Peter is defending Spider-Man. I like that. That dinner table scene is, is I think my favorite scene in the movie. (sighs) It's it's so it's all it's so good and then he's you know he's dodging and not being seen and all of those things that are very Spider-Man-y. I, I like all of that. There are parts of the Gwen thing that I don't like in this first movie, which is that they also make her she is both a high school student and a peer of Peter's and also like a manager at Oscorp where she's in charge of the large super intern. large groups of well, interns okay. and is doing scientific research and has and it's one of these things where it's like why why is that there for the plot it doesn't make sense Jason, but it's there for the plot to be fair to be fair Peter Parker comes from a family of narrative convenience and Andrew Garfield's presence in this movie is a svelte 25 year old teenager yeah uh, <laughs> following in the tradition of, of mid 20s yes. to to middle-aged uh teenage yeah. spider-man a teenage anybody so so the Gwen the Gwen stuff at Oscorp is ridiculous and just don't think about it because it's ridiculous but um it it's a it's a comic book I don't know <laughs> I just but it's it really it's like she reads like she's a college intern or a graduate but she's still in high school and it's just I don't understand it it doesn't really make sense and it doesn't matter it doesn't matter because Emma Stone is great and yeah. uh she is uh she is she gives Peter I mean she's she's like got much more uh, control of the world and understanding of her place in the world and all those things in Peter, but she also is really, you know, intrigued by Peter and knows that he's different. And like, it's a, I think it's a good performance. It's a good uh, character. It's a character that is much more portrayed as Peter's equal in a way that yes. Mary Jane yes. never is. Uh, Mary Jane's a prize to be won, and Gwen Stacy is more of a partner. Yeah. I, I was so like, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. I am so done with that Mary Jane, that Kirsten Dunst Mary Jane, even though, you know, like the actress and everything, but she, she was mostly screaming and yeah. mostly like clueless. And then there were like 
you know, sort of boy things going on around her. Screaming and then like, oh, she's so pretty. She's the unattainable trophy. And those yeah, are basically her modes. Yeah. for Like Broadway star. Whereas I don't know. Gwen is like got it together as a super science genius. Scientist, right? right? She's smarter <laughs> than Peter in theory, you know, like she's the valedictorian. Yeah. Eventually um, she and I it was a big relief just to have like a a equal female character in this show and to have her be every bit Peter's equal, except for like the spider stuff. Yeah. And also that she knew who he was from early on. Like he basically told her right away. And that makes a total difference in like the balance of power, you know, whereas Mary Jane did not know. I don't remember Exactly. I mean, you know, in the Tobey Maguire series, like when she she knew, but it may have been at the end of the first movie, but uh, Gwen knew right from pretty much from the beginning. Mm -hmm. I also love how much emotional intelligence they both have as they're sort of developing this relationship with each other. Mm -hmm. One of my favorite moments of this movie is when um, and and. They're teenagers, so they're not doing the greatest at the verbal communications here. But there's a point where they are getting really, really close. But she is also picking up on the uh, when my one day my dad may not come home thing and yeah. recognizing that Peter is leave, living the same kind of dangerous lifestyle and Peter gets it. And backs off a little bit in that moment where he's not just going to uh, try to take and take emotional contact from her at that point because she's struggling with it. And he says and he and he says, I get it. I I really love that about the first one of these two movies. These two these two, these two characters get it. Well, the 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 awkward interaction after Ben goes to visit him at school and says he's got pictures of you on his computer, and the whole <laughs> thing it, it just it, the scripting is so good and the acting is so good, making something feel that spontaneous is so so hard. It is it is one of the great special effects to pull off in acting itself, and just the the way the way that. The way that Andrew delivers the, you know, touching stuff up and she delivers the oh, touching stuff up, huh? just it, it is absolute magic. I mean, it's why the chemistry worked so well in this movie is that they are able to play that so well. I mean, you know, there was there was a, something of a real life aspect to it. But you know what? Hey, whatever gets you there, whatever gets it on the screen. <laughs> um, and I, I just I just adore that when this movie came out. Things were still not very modern when it came to responsible, good portrayals of how this kind of boy meets girl romance sort of a thing or romance in general is. It feels so even keeled. There is not this this um, this imbalanced power dynamic between the two of mm -hmm. them. And there's there's never even a hint of that the whole runtime. Um, and uh, you know, again, I'm, I'm just, I'm glad that I did finally watch it and I didn't have any of the kind of baggage that the movie had going for it when it came out. This episode of the incomparable is brought to you by ethos. Now I'm sure you're the kind of person like I am who likes to plan ahead. Perhaps you've got your savings account and contribute to a 401k. Now, if you haven't already also consider life insurance, I know you may have been putting this off. None of us likes to think about it. It's complex, expensive, 
time-consuming. Well, Ethos is a faster, easier, and more affordable way to get life insurance. This makes sure your family is taken care of, even if you aren't around to take care of them. They're committed to finding the plan that's best for you and your budget, all from the comfort of your computer, tablet, or phone in 10 minutes or less. All you have to do is answer a few questions about things like your health, your age, and your income to get an instant estimate. Then it takes just a few minutes to finish your application. Everyone's different, but a healthy 35-year-old can get a million dollars of coverage for $50 a month. So with Ethos, you can rest easy knowing you've got everything taken care of. And this time, confusing terms and piles of paperwork are not included. Listeners of The Incomparable can get started by going to ethoslife.com slash Snell and clicking on Check My Price. Again, get a fully personalized quote by going to E-T-H-O-S-L-I-F-E dot com slash S-N-E-L-L. That's me. One last time, make sure to visit ethoslife.com slash Snell so they know that The Incomparable sent you. And thank you to Ethos for sponsoring the show. The other scene for me that really just perfectly captures what I feel like is Spider-Man, is definitive Spider-Man, and what makes the movie hang together so well is the kid and the mask. The kid yes. and the mask. I was going to mention Reese Evans. Is that how you say his name? I don't know. He's Welsh. Yeah. Reese Evans. Evans. Reese yeah. Evans. Um, Evans. He, he is, uh, it's Welsh. Nobody can pronounce it except the Welsh. Um, he is, <laughs> he is fine. As uh, as Doc Connors, the lizard. Sorry, Dylan Baker, you never really got to be the lizard. Uh, but he still has a chance. They brought they brought J.K. Simmons back. <laughs> sure, we could so still get it. It could happen. But anyway, he is um, he he's the he's going to push the plot along, and he's going to be the villain. And it is it is the classic. You know, he is forced to experiment on himself because we get this kind of little. Again, it's part of the conspiracy plot. Like Norman Osborn is dying, and he's desperate, uh, and he's off screen he's desperate to find a cure and and they're pushing this uh and saying we're going to try it on we're going to take it to the va hospital and across the bridge and try it on <laughs> yeah. on soldiers if we have to and he anyway he becomes the lizard and it's a liz- big lizard monster and that leads to um a really great i think scene on the bridge where yeah. he, the the lizard is coming and the guy is in the cab trying to get to experiment on people and spider-man is there and there there are cars getting thrown off the bridge that spider-man has to catch with his webs and they're all hanging by spider webs which is a great visual and he has to save that kid that is dangling in a minivan that is burst into flames like it was in an episode of Chips because Chips is what <laughs> taught me that all cars are very flammable and will explode <laughs> if you look at them funny. And yeah, and so Moy says, yeah, he gives he, the kid is afraid and won't come out of the uh, out of the minivan when he's trying to save him from you know the broken glass on the back of the uh, the van trying to pull the kid out, and he gives. He takes the mask off to say, look, I'm just a regular guy. And he gives the kid the mask. And it is a it is a, a great scene in a good yeah. action sequence. This Spider-Man is really good with children, like, and other people. But, you know, he has, like, this way of just, like, putting it people at ease, which I liked. Yeah. It's like uh, the big conceit of uh, the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movies was that New York loves Spider-Man. I kind of feel like in these movies, Spider-Man loves New York. Yeah, mm. that's real deep. That is that is real deep, Chip. <laughs> People like Spider-Man. The cops don't like Spider-Man. There's a, actually one of the things that um, that Captain Stacy, and again, I love Dennis Leary. He's he's doing Me a good, too. he's doing his good best Dennis Leary here, um, points out 
is that uh, he steals he, or he, he he catches the car thief and mm-hmm. he's and, and Peter's like, Spider-Man caught that car thief. Isn't that awesome? And it's like, no, it's not awesome. We were watching him. He was going to lead us to the people who run the car theft ring. And it's a great moment of like Spider-Man. He thinks he's doing great. He's very bad at his job and doesn't really understand <laughs> that sometimes the police know what's going on and Spider-Man doesn't. I think yeah. that's I think that's all all really good. Um, uh, the final. So in, in this movie, the final um action sequence there's there's a lot of plot mechanics because there's a, there's a, a a a dispersal device that will let you disperse yeah. vaccinations and or lizard poison into the air in through in a multi-block radius around uh the Oscorp tower and the lizard is on the on the march and uh, you know they have to climb up the tower in in a mm-hmm. a thing that's actually what quite reminiscent of the end of uh, Avengers too um mm-hmm. and uh, they, you know, but that said, there is, uh, there's a lot of great stuff in there. Captain Stacy is killed, um, mm. and makes Peter promise not to, uh, be near Gwen, which is not his, yeah. like, it's not his business. And that comes up in the second movie, which I think is good, but like you get the, and I know it's cheesy, but you get all the crane operators lining up their cranes yeah, so that I he can swing. That. And he's been, uh, and he's been shot. It's real yeah. comic booky, but it works. It's so cheesy, but I, but I do love it that it's all the, all the, we got to line up our cranes. It's like, it makes me laugh, but it's also like, you know, Spider-Man's desperate and he needs New York's help uh, to yeah. get where he needs to go. Just like in Spider-Man two, um, you know, it's, 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 it's one of those kinds of things. You know, so I think the climax of this movie has enough going on in it that I think it's exciting, even though the reasons mm-hmm. why the stakes are what they are 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 dumb. <laughs> like, they're just they're <laughs> dumb. They're really dumb. Uh, listen, I'm one of the most sentimental people on the planet, and even I had trouble with the crane scene. Oh. Uh, I'm sorry. Just 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 the logic. Chip. We have our finest crane <laughs> operators lining up their cranes so Spider-Man has something to swing on. God, J- Jason, you had to invite Chip. You had to invite Chip, our our, our noted local pessimist. No, it's, I mean, I get it. It's I, I had that moment where I'm like, oh boy, it's the cranes, and then I was like, you know what? I I, I it's, it's kind cool. of endearing how ridiculous this crane scene is. But all right, it's the dad of that kid that he gave the mask to. Yeah, like, yeah. Yes. this is true. This is true. Yeah, a whole um, other block of cheese for that. Yeah, but but by this by by this point though, I'm at the point in the movie where I'm like. Oh, it's the lizard fight now. Yep. And I think this is and, and I think this is where Amazing Spider-Man 1 falls down and is not as good as uh, Tobey Maguire Spider-Man 2 or whatever, is that the supervillain is where Amazing Spider-Man falls down. It's not a compelling villain. No, I agree. It's just a villain. It's just a villain. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have to be a great villain, but he is a, you know. He's there. He's there because there needs to be a villain, and it never really feels. Yeah. In fact, I think he's better when he's crazy lizard man down in his lair in the uh-huh. sewer, and they've got that uh-huh. whole. There's a whole set piece where Peter's in the sewer and he's taking pictures and he's got his webs and he's trying to find out what's going on. And the lizards are all crawling on his webs to go to the King Lizard and all of that. Yes. That is a much more effective scene. But then you get and the bridge I think is effective. But this part is just like stock superhero movie. We need a big finish, and you know, the lizards yeah. just he is it's, what it, whatever. It's like bargain basement King who, Kong. Who do we have? Oh, really? it's the lizard. Okay, then it's <laughs> yeah. the lizard now. You know, for for me the for you know as they build through the movie, he is a villain who has a bunch of potential that that you get diminishing returns as you head toward payoff, and that's not how it should go. Exactly, it, it seemed like it had 
all of the possibility for that, but it just didn't stick the landing. And before mm. sticking the landing, there there was there was some there was some loose twisting and turning in the air. I would argue that that the lizard is not, and Doc Connors is not. It's a tragic monster. Mm-hmm. Like he turns himself into a monster, and the end is like a megalomaniacal plot to create lots of lizards or whatever. And I feel yeah. like you know, if it had been a twist where it turns out it's some evil Oscorp guy, like the evil Oscorp guy was, <laughs> and that the, the, they're going to experiment on the whole population, or there was like some some surprise about who was actually going to do this big thing, and it wasn't the lizard after mm-hmm. all. I would feel different, but instead, it's mm-hmm. just like, no, I guess the lizard wants to make more lizard people with this very convenient. Right. invented by peter's dad gas dispersal device thing and come on he had a belief now that you know making humans better wasn't really the the point like uh, humans aren't good enough let's make everyone, let's make everyone lizards. lizards sure sure i just want to make humans into lizard people <laughs> <laughs> that gets me to my biggest thematic um issue with the movie is that this this movie is not really kind to disabled people no nope. kurt connors is the only person with a disability in the entire movie mm-hmm. and he is just really really obsessed with uh not having two functioning arms and he is on this quest to grow the second arm and he goes crazy with the lizard juice and then he decides that everybody needs to be just like him and perfected and things like that and and that kind of that kind of rubbed me the wrong way um just 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 from the messaging point I think, of view i think i can read that another way which is he is unwilling to accept himself as he is and that's the seed of his destruction is that he's unwilling to say this is who i am i have i have uh you know i'm an amputee i am missing one arm and i'm gonna live my life i don't think the movie is thinking that deeply about it though no it's right. not yeah it's well, not. And, and for, for me for me it's it's that there are certain things about kurt connors that are direct from the comic page 50 years ago that other things other things went through uh, evolving and changing and improving and the 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 angle on Kurt Connors that could be considered ableist is something that I I, I agree with Chip they could have done a better job of handling um, where he is this is the this is the one element that to me smacked of the Raimi Spider-Man movies that just chose intentionally to not modernize certain things. And that's why it feels like it's set in the 1960-95. I know when I, I was watching it, I was like, wait, is Connors a good guy or a bad guy? You know? And and that's, <sighs> yeah. I mean, he it, it's, it's intentionally like, well, he could be either the lizard can be really I bad think, but i think in the comics know. it's very clearly and this is one of the things i liked about the lizard in the comics is kirk connors is not a bad guy but the lizard mm-hmm. is bad and so his obsession with this thing including yes from the 1960s the growing a new arm which is the whole i mean the high concept right it's like well lizards can regrow their tails so why don't i become a lizard and i'll regrow my mm-hmm. arm but the idea there is that he's kind of like the hulk and that it's it's this tragic thing where he mm-hmm. becomes a monster and the monster is a monster but doc connor is not it's just that he's he's dr jekyll and mr hyde basically Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, in the end, yeah. he's semi-redeemed, even though he's just yeah. eviscerated Captain Stacy. Before we move on, um, Moises, you want to talk a little bit more about Captain Stacy? Let's do that. We we talked a little bit about how good he is, and 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 I just I and you know particular scenes, but the thing that that really struck me rewatching this for I don't know the what time uh, in prep for this <laughs> recording that we're finally doing um, was when he shows up in the movie, the movie itself levels up. Uh, yeah, that, like that specific point in the movie, I'm kind of like, oh, what is this conspiracy science thing? Uh, and it it leaves some of that stuff well enough alone. There there are plenty of bits of superfluous spider things throughout the movie. Irfan Khan, um, I mean, he's there, he's there, and he serves sort of a narrative purpose. But he's when a guy Dennis in a suit. Leary, <laughs> he's a guy in a suit. He's a he's the he's the horrible man in a suit. But when Dennis Leary shows up as Captain Stacy. Uh, it is, it is everything that they left on the table using, uh, James Cromwell in Spider-Man three and giving him like four lines to say, mm-hmm. um, where this captain Stacy, he is not just a central casting cop. He is layered. He is complex. There is more to him than just narrative function. And what he, what, what he, what he does with the part is not just what's on the page there. They're really, it, it feels so vividly lived in, which is, I think so much of what makes various characters in the movie work so well. He just absolutely feels yeah. like somebody that you would meet and be intimidated by and that you would want watching out for public safety. I think that's why it was such a tragedy that he was killed in the, right. in Spider-Man, amazing Spider-Man one, because I was surprised. I was like, Oh, he's dying, but, but, but Spider-Man will will get him out of it, and he didn't. And I'm like, oh no, yeah, that's classic. No Dennis Leary, classic Spider-Man one. lore. But yeah, oh, but he is in the next one. Yay! As a <laughs> as a shame ghost. Woo! Oh, yeah, that's the, the greatest Spider-Man tradition is you know somebody has to get shoved in a fridge at some point, yeah. and then haunt Peter Parker for mm-hmm. the rest of his life. Yeah, yep. yeah. <sighs> you know, Captain Stacy is a fantastic part of this movie. I think. Just about everything is fantastic about Amazing Spider-Man 1, except for the villain plot. And as it becomes more important to the end of the movie, the movie drags down and drags down. So you're right. If if the biggest problem with Amazing Spider-Man 1 was the villain, was the solution more villains? Um, Yeah. Okay. So so just before we do, that's a great segue, Chip. You're a professional podcaster. Before we get there, just to, one last thought about about this movie before we move on to the sequel. I, if everybody wants to say, you know, their overall final impression of, of this one, I will say again, I liked it when it came out. Revisiting it, I was worried I wasn't going to like it. I realized I do like it, but it for lots of reasons, and I think it gets a bad rap. That said, Chip... I think you nailed it, which is, yeah, the villain's not that good, gets less interesting as he goes along, and there's an obligatory climax that doesn't really make any sense and isn't really that great. And it's the it's a superhero movie where you really delight in the characters and the dialogue and the explosions and stuff are uh, not good. <laughs> Jason, to, to, to yes and Chip's beautiful segue, uh, I feel like similar to Batman Begins where there's a lot of good stuff and then some stuff that makes you go, huh? When you think about it too much. (laughs) Amazing Spider-Man 2 is the Batman and Robin 
two amazing oh, Spider-Man, oh, one's Batman Begins. Oh, oh. No, it's not that bad. <laughs> Gene, uh, so overall, um, kind of general thoughts about this one before we move on? Oh, yeah. I, I was expecting not to like it. You know, I hadn't seen it before, and it just, you know, it doesn't have that great a reputation. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm enjoying this and enjoying it. And then when Dennis Leary came out, I'm like, oh, my God, I love Dennis Leary and, you know, love all the actors. And um, we Mm. didn't mention it, but I really like, for example, the school scene with the lizard and with Stanley and all that, like and the lizard losing its tail. One of the best cameos. Yeah, that was a really good Stanley's got his headphones on, doesn't know what's going on. Yes. I mean, uh, there was a lot of fun stuff. Flash Thompson. Yes, right. Flash Thompson. Flash Thompson at the school, like they leveled up his bully too. It, there, there was more to Flash, and yeah. yeah, yeah, everything about the school felt more like an actual school. Yep. So, yeah. So I, I did enjoy. I loved the new the the Gwen ver- instead of Mary Jane. Um, you know, in the in the movie sense, and uh, yeah. yeah. So All I right. was like, okay, let's watch the next one because I know it's supposed to be terrible so so skeptical people who have maybe haven't seen this movie or seen it in a while maybe check it out uh based on what we said here because uh, yeah i think it is under like i said going in i think the problem with this movie is that they were trying to tell the same story that they told 10 years before and nobody wanted to hear it and i totally get why but i would argue it's a better movie than uh, than the uh, first sam raimi spider-man movie and certainly a better telling of peter parker's origin story it's not a perfect movie that one isn't either and I like this one a lot. However, then they made The Amazing Spider-Man 2. I've rarely heard you so excited to eviscerate a sequel to something, Jason, and that's saying something. So, Moises, you you mentioned Batman and Robin, and it's funny because I was going to mention Batman and Robin as well. The Amazing Spider-Man 2, and, and I, I don't want to speak, uh, all of you, if you disagree, you can let me know. Um, the Amazing Spider-Man 2 is a disaster. It almost destroyed the entire <laughs> franchise. Sony had to go hat in hand to Marvel and say, can you help us fix this? Because we broke Spider-Man and we don't know what to we do next. <laughs> and the thing that struck me watching this again, because I've only seen this once before, watching Amazing Spider-Man 2 again, is it's a Batman movie. Um, it is it is Batman and Robin. It is, let's, let's have multiple villains. And more than that, Jamie Foxx, who is completely wasted in this, by the way, he is, he is playing... A Batman villain. He is literally yeah. playing. He yeah. is. It is right out of you know Batman and Robin or Batman Forever or maybe even Batman Returns. He is when we first see Jamie Fox as Max Dillon. He is a super weird, broad, like stagey, uh, like ultra nerd character who who can't relate to anybody and talks funny and is like out of a comedy <laughs> sketch. And then of course mm-hmm. he is he falls into a vat. Of electric eels, which could not be a more Batman <laughs> villain origin. He's like the Joker falling into the pit of acid. And then he comes out and he's a a, a blue, you know, lightning dude. Human battery. And it is just, it is so broad a performance. It is so weird and, and, and. Not, I don't care whether it's like the Electro in the comics or something. Electro in the comics is yeah. kind of dumb anyway. But what uh, really struck des- me about it... The design it, is flawed. But what really, really struck <laughs> me about it is just, it is such an over-the-top Batman-esque villain turn. And I thought to myself, mm-hmm. who made this movie and thought Batman, uh, Batman and Robin or Batman Forever was a good model? Because that <laughs> is what 
the villain is here. And then there's also Paul Giamatti and there's also Dean DeHaan as a, a, Hey Peter, I'm Harry Osborn. Uh, remember me. I, uh, but I'm going to be the green goblin. Worse. Um, a, a, worse a, Harry uh, ever. Uh, a, and uh, he's, like he's a, awful. <laughs> he's so he's worse than James Franco. And that's saying no, something, it makes right? Me like James Franco. I'm like, thank, please bring James uh, Chris Franco Cooper back. is Chris Cooper is utterly wasted as Harry, yes. as Norman Osborn, who would have been a much more interesting villain. Him. Yeah. Death rattle Norman Osborn. You know, Jason, you, the, the way, the way you introduced Electro makes me think that Gene, you were 100% dead on calling me off of Batman and Robin because he's basically the electric Riddler. He is the yes. electric Jim Carrey's Riddler from Batman forever. <laughs> Yes, I was so it was so disappointing. <laughs> yes. Like, I mean, I knew that the movie wasn't going to be great. And when I saw like, wait, Jamie Foxx is in it. Like there is not a, a moment where Jamie Foxx is good in this movie. It is such yeah. a shame. He is. Yeah. He is not. I, I, was so hoping, I was hoping terrible. that like at the beginning he would be good. It's like, oh, no, he's playing a wacky character here. Well, maybe when he turns into Electro, he'll be good. Nope, he's not going to be good then either. Um, and you know what? Here's the thing. I haven't even gotten to the worst part of this movie. The worst part of this movie is that the makers of this movie know that in the comics, canonically, Gwen Stacy dies by being dropped yes. from a height by the Green Goblin. And so this movie basically feels like it has to do that. And so everything is kind of engineered to kill Gwen mm-hmm. Stacy. It's backing into that. I was waiting for the twist. I was waiting for the twist because everybody knows this is what's going to happen to Gwen Stacy. Right. No, that's exactly nope. what happens. You're looking for subtext. There's only text. <laughs> yeah, we're going we're we're going to to stick with like the the comic book here you know and kill off the girl this way if there was no comic book history and no comic book continuity you would never make this choice the connection between emma stone and andrew garfield is so good that character is portrayed by emma stone so solid like if you were a sane producer you would look at this and say let's keep this rolling with andrew and emma because it's just we're going to tell our own story and it's going to be good instead they're like oh i don't know what what can you do she died in the comics so we have to kill her in this movie and it's and it's not done in a way that is justified or makes sense for the plot or anything. It's literally obligatory. So they have to like practically. It was like it was yeah. in the contract. Sorry, you got to kill her in the second movie. It's just I know you don't want to, but you have to. It, and no. it's the worst. Jason, I'd like to call back to our recording. I want to say about Spider-Man Homecoming in which I said, having not seen this movie, you know, the problem that I have with it, from what I've been told, is that it just, it feels like they were backing into fridging Gwen Stacy, and they, and I just don't, I just don't like that whatever it is they accomplished with those movies, that they just felt like they had to do that. And now that I've seen the movie, Jason, I feel the exact same way. <laughs> I don't, yeah. they don't really fridge her in the sense that she just dies because, like, is fridging, fridging is supposed to be for the benefit of character development of another character. To motivate, to, oh, to motivate the There's hero. no benefits I, to her dying here. <laughs> The opposite happened. <laughs> this upsets me worse than the killing of Gwen Stacy is that it happens at the end of the movie, but there has to be a reset because they want to make Amazing Spider-Man 3. What works for the franchise is mm-hmm. brash uh, act, uh, brash and non-emo Spider-Man. So we've got to get him there somehow. So what do we do? We let time pass off screen. 
and he gets better. And yeah. we have a closing scene with the rhino where he's back to himself again. So mm. he's worked through his grief and trauma off screen. off screen. And that makes her death even more of a waste. <laughs> and Jason, oh, that's boy. precisely why I hate it, because they fridged someone and then didn't actually do the part that makes it a fridging. <sighs> she died for nothing. She died for literally nothing. Jamie Foxx's Electro and, and squandering Jamie Foxx in this movie is a crime. Like, it is a crime <laughs> that in, in almost any other movie yeah. would be enough of a crime. Dane DeHaan as Harry Osborn and the Green Goblin with his skateboard uh, goblin thing uh, that is, I like, even him. worse than the one in, in Spider-Man 3. Like, he, it's, he's bad and written weirdly and it's super uncomfortable. That's not good either. The lengthy... Uh, flashbacks with Campbell Scott and M. Beth Davids in the like yeah. the plane and all that. That's really bad too. Like there are so there there are glimmers of things in here where you're like, oh yeah, Peter and and Gwen and the, you know they're trying to be apart, but they're not. And she has a great moment where she basically calls out the big failing of the first movie, which is my dad doesn't get to decide whether I am involved in your life or not. And the best thing that happens to her in this movie is that the reason she's where she is when she dies is because despite Peter saying. No, I don't want you involved because I promised your dad. She's like, you don't get to decide either. You don't I get make to my tell own me. decisions. Yeah, that that. So I can pick out little bits where I'm like, oh yeah, here are the little pieces of the first movie that came over to this movie. But it is surrounded by just one terrible decision after another. It's so bad. Yeah. So they, I, they, it deserved to die. The franchise. I'm, what I'm saying is, this franchise did deserve to die. This movie is the so bad. The thing <laughs> that upsets me the most about this movie is that. The first 10 minutes or so after the, you know, if, if you'd shortened the Richard and Mary Parker bit, that would have been fine. Mm-hmm. The first 10 minutes or so of this movie are pretty good. They are. I love the action sequence with the future Rhino yes. uh, and, and, and that stuff. And it's funny and he's being funny and there's like funny dialogue and it's like yeah. classic Spider-Man. And it's interspersed with Gwen Stacy's valedictorian speech, and that's kind of clever, too, uh, up mm-hmm. until the point when you realize that she's basically giving her own eulogy, but... Mm-hmm. Be yeah. that as it There's might. a nice say anything vibe to that scene that I like too. So yeah. Yeah. these first ten mo- minutes remind me of the f- good parts right? of the first movie, <laughs> and 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 we had like two thirds of a good movie the first time around, and we get one eighth of a good movie this time around. Yeah, the one eighth really pisses me <laughs> off. <laughs> The amazingly fractional Spider-Man sequel that we got, it isn't just two movies welded together. Chip, you said the opening sequence. There are two opening sequences. There's the Richard Parker science conspiracy opening and the Rhino interspersed graduation day opening. So we have the openings to two different movies welded (laughs) onto each other. Then we've got so so the the framing when the framing villain, the mole man of Amazing Spider-Man 2, Rhino, is the best executed villain in the movie. There's a problem. Yeah. Oh, by far. There's a real problem because then you've got you've got you've got a a movie that is the electro plot. And then you've got a movie that is the um, meth head extreme goblin, uh, the meth head extreme sports goblin uh, or extreme sports (laughs) goblin two story. Yes. You've got you've got portions of three, four different movies 
all glued together. You see why I say this is like a Batman movie? That's exactly how those yeah. Batman yeah. movies felt. Yeah. yeah. It, 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 all, all those all those lessons we should have learned from the first one. You know what? We're not going to learn any of them and we're going to no. get even more scatterbrained. Oh, and we're going to bring the, the mysterious dude in the hat back that we didn't know. Uh, <sighs> the, the word word so that a reporter he? friend of mine... Here's the thing. They didn't know the people, the people making the movie didn't know who that guy was supposed to be when they made the first movie. And they still hadn't decided on it during the second movie yet. They were, they were, they, they wanted were determined a to make a sinister six movie thing. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's very Batman to me. Right. Yeah. Well. Yeah. I yeah. I mean, and, and bless their hearts. They're trying to set up their own spider franchise. They've got this oh. guy walking through and there are vulture wings and there are octopus arms and they're going to set up this Sinister mm-hmm. Six franchise. I think they were even planning on doing a movie just for the Sinister yes. Six because they've got all of this Marvel IP and they just want to play with it. And they suck at <laughs> and it. They, and, well, and, and that's the part that I really love about that, Chip, is that and in doing all of that, they were making the movie that killed it dead, that killed the entire killed plan dead. dead, was this movie is so bad <laughs> and so poorly received that it, uh, you know, they, they realized they couldn't go on, which is not to say that it yeah. didn't make like $700 million at the box office, but it was it was the moment where they're like, oh, we can't do this. We we, we can't yeah. we can't make more of this. This was all a terrible mistake. <laughs> Kevin Feige, can you mm. save us? And mm. they... Imagine, imagine, imagine being in that position as Sony where you're like, oh, wow, um, we need to, we need help. Hello. Hello, competitor. Yeah. <laughs> help us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't even mentioned also, in addition to Chris Cooper being criminally underused as Norman Osborn, um, Felicity Jones is in this Felicity movie. Jones. She's great. She's basically the black <laughs> yeah. cat. Uh, they're setting that up. She's, Remember her? She's around. She's kind of spunky in the three scenes she's in. And then that's that's it's all we really see of her. Weak. Yep. Oh. Really, but weak. you know, really at that point, I'm just like, oh, Catwoman. No, wait, this isn't a Batman movie. So close, <laughs> but not a Batman movie. There were several things that just made me crack up. Like as you're in a movie that's just bad, you're like, well, what can entertain me here? And uh, one of them was, uh, well, Harry. You know, he has that like little thumb drive or whatever from his dad. He's not sure what to do with it. And it drops on his desk, and then it's like boom. I'm like, oh, his desk is a Microsoft Surface. Yes, turns it's out like the big ass table right there at Oscorp. My son is clumsy. He'll drop this on the <laughs> desk eventually, and then he'll see what's going on here. Uh, so that cracked me up. Um, there was another thing. Like I was thinking, like, oh, well. Okay, so here, like, you remember the two planes? They're going to collide because there's no electricity. No. It's like, hello. (laughs) The planes don't collide just because the electricity is out at the air traffic controller's tower. There is a whole thing, you know, that planes have, just in case anybody's worried about it. It's called TCAS traffic collisions. That, that, I, I can't even. I didn't even mention that where it's like lengthy scenes of people on airplanes that I just mm-hmm. don't care. I don't it's like kind of like airplane was like you know inserted <laughs> into the movie or airport. I don't know which Batman one, will but... save you. Oh no, sorry again. It's not a Batman movie. Yes. Batman <laughs> won't won't save you. You know, I would I would much rather have seen a movie. So you know, fam- famously, uh, Gene Siskel said that the true sign of a bad movie is if you would rather see a movie where the people involved in making the movie sat around and told stories instead of the actual movie. And um, this this movie made me think. I I kind of want that movie that's literally like 
Peter and Gwen and he occasionally mm-hmm. foils a crime or fights a bad guy. And the rest of it is just their romantic comedy dialogue and her struggling with going to Europe and thinking that she's going to do that instead. And, mm-hmm. and them and them having these like things where they like, they kind of break up, but they know that they, they actually can't resist. There's that. Gr- I really love that scene that where the movie is called, uh, um, say anything. Yeah, yeah. Right. So that's, that's kind of what <laughs> I want the movie is. I want it to be this, you know, teen romance or, or early twenties, romance with occasionally <laughs> interspersed spider-mans honestly actually the two uh the two modern spider-man movies are kind of that mm-hmm. so uh maybe that, that was a, a good direction but anyway like because when you get that scene with with uh with peter and gwen and yeah, and, they, and they're like they, they're not supposed to be together but they're together and they're like it's so nice and then the movie comes back and mm-hmm. that was ruined the part you know <sighs> as you mentioned like where gwen is like I know how to turn the thing off or turn the thing on or whatever. whatever. You know, I'm going over there and he's like, no, no, it's too dangerous. And she's like, you don't tell me what to do. That, that, those kinds of back and forth between the two of them, I, that was the best part of this movie. For sure. It almost upsets me more that they are so good in this, I almost cursed of mm. a movie. Yeah. I mean, I mean, <laughs> yeah. Andrew yeah. Garfield is still just as likable. Emma Stone is still just as just as compelling. I mean, and, and they, if, if they dumped Andrew Garfield because of whatever they wanted to do with Marvel and they wanted to cast their own Spider-Man, that's fine. But like Andrew Garfield is not the reason that they killed this franchise. Like he is fine. No. <laughs> He's fine. <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, it, 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 it. The more we talk about this movie, the angrier I get, I, and I'm mm-hmm. about to turn oh, into the no. lizard or the Hulk or something. <laughs> But you know, you know what, you know what, you know what fixes horrible, horrible disasters like this more than anything? Lighthearted cameos later down the line in multi-universe movies uh, that that make you forget about the bad stuff yeah. and just remember the good stuff that you liked, like the funny, quippy Spider-Man. But both of them have things that just make me uh, almost pull my hair out. Mm. Where I'm like, how how can you get this this? wrong and this one movie amazing spider-man 2 has a larger quantity of that than what i can say about any other series that i could say that about the batman run starting with burton and ending with schumacher any of them it just the it is almost like they were trying to make a disaster (laughs) it does feel a little bit like it's there's sabotage happening from within but i guess the sony hack would have revealed if there was truly sabotage but yeah it it does feel like that. I I think it's funny that we you know everybody always talks about Spider Man three being a bad movie and it's not a very good movie at all. But I I realize that in the last five years or so, however long it's been since this movie came out, that when people mention Spider Man three, I say, Have you seen Amazing Spider Man two? <laughs> it's you know and, and and I mean, is it as bad as Batman and Robin? No, no, almost nothing is. But it's up there. It's up there. It, it what makes it worse than Batman and Robin, I guess, is that Batman and Robin has no opportunity for redemption. Whereas uh, Amazing Spider-Man Two, there is that one eighth of the movie chip that reminds you <laughs> that they could have done something better because the last movie was better, and um, they did not at all. So mm, it's so infuriating. But but yeah. but I'm glad we revisited them because it reminded me of all the reasons why I like the first one. And then, yes, all the reasons why the second one is a complete failure. Absolutely. I mean, it's it's I was pleasantly surprised by Amazing Spider-Man 1 and 
Amazing Spider-Man 2 brought me right back Ooh. down to expectations. Stinker. All right. Um, I am going to squash the spiders now or whatever it is. I don't oh, even know. Don't kill the spiders. We don't kill spiders. I've buried 14 Uncles Ben, Jason. I think it's time now to officially close the summer of spider-man including this appendix that we've tacked on here uh and uh i hope that the people out there uh will maybe revisit that first amazing spider-man movie it's got a lot in it that's really good and uh you know if you don't if you're just thinking about that toby Maguire spider-man maybe give it a shot it's it's good and don't don't watch amazing spider-man 2 just don't don't do it um, I would like to thank my guests for talking about these movies with me. At last, we broke the curse, and then we watched Amazing Spider-Man 2, and the curse caught us. Oh, no! Chip Sutter, <laughs> thank you for being here. I'm swinging here! <laughs> G. McDonald, thank you. Thanks for having me. And Moises Chuyon, thank you very much. Jason, a quick way to a parallel universe is looking at the extra features on the Amazing Spider-Man 2 Blu-ray or download, wherein lots of people are really convinced that they're going to make a Sinister Six movie and continue all of this and it's it's honestly more enjoyable than the movie as as our friend marty ashley likes to point out some of the best extra features in any movie are when there's a failed franchise and everybody on the extra features is talking as if the movie was a hit and there would be more sequels (laughs) jason it's the only kind of gaslighting that i endorse (laughs) and it is so entertaining anyway uh well thank you all for being here thank you for listening to this episode check out that first amazing spider-man movie don't watch the second one and we will see you next week 